This episode is sponsored by Down to Earth Ice Teas. Our functional super teas are made from organic super herbs and adaptogens and contain no sugar, no preservatives, no food colorings, and range from only zero to 10 calories per bottle. Our beverages are USDA organic, kosher, vegan, non-GMO, and keto and paleo friendly. Finally, bottled beverages that you can truly trust. Check out drinkdowntoearth.com and use promo code PODCAST10 for 10% off your first order. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Dr. Karina Lopez. Dr. Lopez is a naturopathic doctor, homeopath, licensed acupuncturist, and master herbalist. She's traveled all around the world, studying and practicing medicine with some of the most renowned practitioners in their field. Dr. Lopez uses a supportive environment to assist with a spectrum of issues using the body's own healing potential and natural, safe, effective treatments. She now sees patients in her clinic in Yonkers, New York, with the intention of helping patients with their health concerns so that their focus can shift from concerns about their health to accomplishing the life of their dreams. Welcome to the Down to Earth Podcast. We're your hosts, sibling duo, Jonathan and Lorena. In this podcast, we'll be spilling the tea on all things health and wellness related. This podcast is designed to motivate you to take care of your physical, mental, and spiritual health. We'll be bringing on doctors, healers, fitness experts, business leaders, and innovators. Thanks for joining us in our mission of making the world a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Here we go. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Lopez. We're so excited to chat with you. Thank you. I'm so honored to be on the show with you guys. So we also know that you're a new mom, which congratulations, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> How is that going? Any new, any tips for new moms? Oh my goodness. Make sure that you are taking care of yourself as a new mommy. There's so many things to do. I would definitely start drinking some of your drinks, ashwagandha, for example, is such a beautiful restorative for new mommies. It is going to help with the blood. It's going to help with nutrition. It's going to help with libido. It's going to help with energy. It is just fantastic. Moxibustion is something that I've used to also rejuvenate my system. I've used a lot of seaweed, making sure to get on that bone soup, getting beautiful seaweeds as well as miso soup. So I'll do a beautiful miso bone broth with seaweed inside. You really want to get those minerals. So really getting those minerals, tonifying your blood and rejuvenating your body and taking time to breathe, I think is the best advice I would give to mommies. I love that. You have to make sure to take care of yourself because you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Absolutely. Well, you have an incredibly fascinating story. And I'd love for you to be able to share with us a little bit more about your story and how you initially got interested in the health and wellness industry. Wow, that's a loaded question. So let me go to my origins. You know, just being a Puerto Rican girl in the Bronx and in, in Yonkers, where I grew up, I would, you know, my forest was Van Cortland Park. And I remember times my mother would take me there and I was just so in love with how beautiful Van Cortland Park was and how special. But at the time, you know, I was always, you know, I would see people and I'd say, oh, they're sick, they're sick. And I'd go and I'd want to help people and do the best that I can. So the best way I knew was through medical school. So I studied my butt off and, and I went to med school and I went to Albert Einstein. And that was a fantastic college. But there's one thing. I started to notice what I was learning in my lectures. And in my lectures, that was the most telling of them all. I'll give you an example. At one point, I was listening to one of the most prominent cardiologists. And he said, well, we're going to give someone a statin. But just so you know, giving someone a statin actually has shown that they could potentially die through complications of taking the statin in 10 years. And I heard that and I said, wait a minute, are they telling patients that? Are we giving patients this drug and not telling them that, hey, complications could potentially really hurt you. Do you want to take this drug? But no, it's almost a certain type of hubris where we just go ahead and do what we want and not think about the person. And, and that really got me angry. And then I remember there was a nutrition class. And in this nutrition class, what was interesting was they had said, hey, this is a recommended nutrition class. So, you know, whatever students would like to come would come. 
And when I went to the nutrition class that was recommended, only 10 students or less came to the class and we had about 100 students per class at Albert Einstein. And so I realized that physicians aren't learning about nutrition. They're not learning. And when we did take that nutrition class, our first class was the show us the pyramid. And as we know, that pyramid tends to really tell us how much dairy, starches, and meat we should be eating. So it was really limited and it was really heartbreaking. And I felt that I wasn't going to be able to really help my people because all I was learning was really how to give drugs and that I had the arrogance to determine if someone should take this drug and not allow them to understand what it could do to them. That really broke my heart. And then, of course, with that, sickness prevailed. And there is an association in Chinese medicine with the lungs and grief. And I suffered so much. I started to develop asthma and coughing and panic attacks and so many things that were impeding me during my time there. And I realized that my heart wasn't allowing me to be there because there was too much grief with what I was to be destined to do had I stood as a conservative physician. And that's when I made my transfer. Wow. And what a good choice you make. It's unbelievable how one big part of naturopathic medicine is heal thyself, right? So you're going through a program that's making you sick and you don't even feel satisfied in what you're learning and how you're going to be able to help your patients. Right. The biggest thing is, you know, where's the spirit? Where's the love? Where's the advocating for your patient in a way where you can actually say, hey, you're a part of the journey. You know, I don't have the arrogance to just say, you know what, I'm going to do this for you and you're just going to be quiet and listen to me because I'm your superior. That was very different when you entered naturopathic college. It became more of a conversation and a journey where you hold the patient's hand and you walk together like a camino versus you having, you know, the hubris to decide for someone and make those choices without a care. Absolutely. And I think when you educate your patients, you empower them too, because they know why they're doing something. Right. Right. You educate, you inspire, you show compassion, you show love. That's what real medicine is. There's love there. Definitely. And I think it's so great to hear how genuine you are and what it is that you do. I feel like, you know, in the medical industry and the wellness industry, it's become so big over the past few years. And there are so many people who try to get involved in it, but they don't necessarily have the right intent. So um, just amazing seeing how much you love what you do. And I just commend you for that. Thank you. A really interesting experience about yours that I read about was that you moved to Belize at one point and you worked with a shaman, which I think is so cool. I'd love to know more about how that experience was and what that experience taught you about the mind-body connection. Oh, so what that experience was and what that experience taught me about mind-body connection. Oh my goodness. So it actually was a summer through Albert Einstein. They uh, had a program where they would give these grants to, to students. And I saw that they had this alternative medicine program in Belize through this non-for-profit. And I said, all right, let me go to that. So I was this medical student who spoke English and Spanish. And when I get to Belize and I went to the hospital, it was really interesting because you see these Cuban doctors who only speak Spanish and Belize is an English speaking country. So they needed translators and they needed help. And I remember talking to each of the patients online to just to get their their chief complaint. And there was this one woman and she was standing there and she was blind and she was young. She had to be 35 and she was holding, you know, this little girl who was her daughter. And I asked her, I said, what's going on? She goes, well, I'm coming in for my once a month shot for diabetes. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I'm a diabetic. And so I come in for my insulin shot once a month. Mind you, you're supposed to have this every day. I mean, you know, you're diabetic. And her daughter looks at her and gives her, says, mommy, it's time for you to eat and gives her a donut. And I said, did anybody talk to you about diet? And she goes, no, they just told me to take my insulin shot once a month because that's what they can do. And I was so mortified by that, that I went to the curandera in the area at that time. Her name was Beatrice Waite. She ended up dying and she was a pioneer, at least um, in regards to teaching the Mayan massage. And 
I had spent some time with Beatrice Waite in her little hut, and she taught me about the plants, and she did the Maya massage on me, and she spoke to me about okra and how okra had was a mucilage, and it was useful, and she would use it for healing so many people with hormonal issues, and she even used it in diabetes. So I went crazy, and I grabbed all this okra that was right around because it would just grow wild in Belize, and I would show people. And they said, well, you're a Westerner. Why are you eating that? Don't you want to eat processed food? And I said, no, I want to eat your food because your food is amazing and it's healing and it's fantastic. And I made it a point to like chew on raw okra all the time just to show people how important that was. And, and I realized how much globalization had impacted that small country just by this ideal of, you know, you know gold and richness in the West. And you know, high fashion and, and all of these different ideas that the West brings. And it was really toxic for these people. And so I spent a lot of time rooting myself. But then something occurred to me. And I said, here I am on this thinking about these people in Belize, these poor people with no access to real care. Where does this mimic? And I realized right at home where I was in the Bronx, where you see people who are indigent, who don't have money who really don't have as much access to healthcare and are not being followed with their medications and in fact are taking either too many medications, too little medications, and have no form of idea of what type of diet they should be on. And I was inspired to come back to my community and make a difference because I saw how alike the two communities were. And I was inspired by these shaman, you know, and I saw many different shamans from Beatrice White to other shaman who took me through the rainforest, who spoke to me about the simplicity of life and how just eating these beautiful fresh vegetables and drinking these beautiful herbal teas and taking baths in sacred ways, as simple as they were, had the most profound healing I had ever seen. I think that's so amazing. And I think that oftentimes, especially nowadays, we tend to make things a little too complex when oftentimes the things that are best for us and the most healing sometimes are the simplest. So I think that's a really great point that you mentioned. Oh yeah, absolutely. A lot of times, you know, when we travel to different places, we end up learning more about where we actually come from and, you know, where home is. So it's amazing that you were able to make that analogy and now you're doing such incredible work here locally. Yeah, you know, it really is. That's a great point. It's amazing how so much of the world replicates in so many different ways. Even when I went to India, I remember I was so excited because I saw chickweed or I saw dandelion. And I said, oh my God, we have those herbs. And they're using it for, you know, either the same thing or some different things. But because the world replicates and mirrors itself, you know, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and so many, in so many other ways. Absolutely. And I actually had a question because I know you went to India to work at the homeopathic dispensary. And I was just curious, what were some like notable differences that you saw in the perspective there on medicine versus here? In India, oh, India is just fantastic. I mean, you see so many different walks of life and, you know, the richest to the poorest. And in India, where I was, and I was about, I would say, a little bit north of, of Pune. I was in Ahmed Nagar, and it was a free clinic. The clinic was open since, I want to say, 19, I think 1946, if I remember correctly. And it was giving the homeopathic remedies free and the treatment for free. And so we would see, you know, about 10 people an hour to 20 people an hour. So it was really wow. busy and fast. And uh, what was interesting was there was still that idea of, of things have to go fast, you know, things have to go fast and I want the remedy to work and I want everything to go great. But there was such a respect in this clinic and they felt like they were getting real medicine and that it was really going to cure them. The idea with homeopathy is that the symptom never comes back. And so if you have asthma, for example, you will never have asthma again. And what's beautiful is that people really had that expectation versus in the West, we feel like, okay, we have to be on this medication forever. You know, you take this drug and you'll die with this drug. You'll marry this drug, for example. And in India, you don't marry the drug. You take it and you're healed. And there was a belief in that healing. And I remember 
seeing so many different people. And, uh, you know, my mentor, Bob Street, had seen hundreds of thousands of people at that time. And he was practicing since, you know, the 1970s. And I'll give you a case. There's this one woman who came in. Her husband said, we have to take her to a mental institution. And, you know, she's so jealous. She's so angry, you know. And she was saying that her husband was going to, you know, betray her and that they're cheating on her and all of these issues. And she had some paralysis from the stroke that she had from, you know, all this anxiety and all this anger. And she was sticking out her tongue in and out, in and out, in and out as she was speaking. And it was reminiscent almost like a snake, you know. And we asked her, are you afraid of snakes? And she jumped out of her chair and she said, oh, is there a snake here? Is there a snake here? No, 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 relax, relax. And we gave her homeopathic lachesis, which is the Bushmaster snake. It has, it's the venom, you know, and there's a whole story of how that remedy was made in the jungle. And I'll tell you, by the end of the month, and she took the homeopathic, she took a 50M, there's different potencies in homeopathy, and she took it every day for a whole month. And at the end, she came back and she said, I'm much better, and I trust my husband more. And the places that were paralyzed were no longer paralyzed. She walked in fine than any normal woman would. So homeopathy is so beautiful in India and it's practiced by physicians and it's very much respected. There's just a completely different philosophy and also the food is different in India. You know, people where I was, people are making handmade chapatis. They're taking the amaranth and they're beating it, you know, to make the flour. So there's just a whole different ideology behind what food means. You know, there's no processed foods. And Children weren't at the time getting vaccines. Now that a lot of the children are getting vaccines, Bob has reported to me that he's seen cases of cerebral palsy that he's never seen before. And a lot of different childhood, very severe neurogenic diseases that had never appeared since he'd been practicing there since the 1970s suddenly have appeared. So as things globalize, things tend to shift for everyone. Yeah, that's an amazing story about the patient experience that you had with homeopathy. And I think homeopathy is incredible. I personally am a big believer in homeopathy and I had a really great homeopathic intake done a few years ago. And I'd love to sort of get your take on homeopathy in general and how a typical homeopathic intake works. It really depends your lineage on some level and who your mentors are. I studied with George Vithulkis for three months in the island of Alonisos where they practice what they call classic homeopathy, which is more Kentian-based. And they are very patient. They give one dose. They wait you know, a month, two months, three months to see if the remedy will work. In India, the clinic where I worked, they would give a very high potency, 50M, 10M, which really means that you dilute it more, actually, and you use vibration more. So there's more uh, vibration and more dilution with the higher potencies. And essentially, you'll see people getting better a lot faster in India. And so my practice is more using the type of formulary that I learned in India, which is high potency and frequent prescribing versus waiting and giving someone one potency and then waiting a month or a week or two or three weeks. We don't do that in my clinic. Homeopathy is beautiful because it's a system of medicine that stimulates the person's vibration. It finds that person's symptom. It activates the system and allows them to use their own personal healing to heal their life. So if someone has a fever, the homeopathy might raise the fever just slightly enough to allow the person to combat. And then finally, the fever will diminish and the person would be healed. Or if the person has a rash, it might aggravate the rash just a little bit because the rash is the person's own system responding to the illness. The body knows what to do. So if you just follow the body a little bit and allow things to handle itself, then the body will heal. And so that's really the system of homeopathy and it's beautiful. And I found that really going with that has helped so many people and it's so cheap. I mean, homeopathy is the cheapest medicine in the world and it's the most sustainable. I mean, no homeopath should ever run out of a bottle of their remedy. One remedy will last the homeopath's lifetime in their practice, at least. And it's so amazing because when you were mentioning lachesis, I remember when I was first learning about homeopathy and I was like, wait, so you're going to give me something that is 
replicating the symptoms that I'm having right now. But it, if you think about it, it's really fascinating. It is really fascinating because it's really the vibration of the person and allowing their vibration to be stimulated just a little bit to cancel out the illness. And, you know, when you respect someone's personal vibration and you allow them to continue their own process of healing, which is what homeopathy does, you really are able to transcend that person's life in a big way. I love that. And so we know that you've had personal experience with COVID-19 and I've personally seen quite a bit of cases on homeopathy, especially during pandemics like the Spanish flu to -hmm. even now seeing some success with COVID-19. So I'd love to hear you speak on that a little bit more. So as we know with homeopathy, homeopathy has just the most beautiful statistics when it comes to epidemics. And we have seen particular remedies really acting for different viruses. Right now, there's a lot of resources in regards to COVID-19. My family had gotten very, very sick around this time, and we had suspected COVID-19, and we used some beautiful remedies, and I can discuss some and some of the ideology behind them. And so one very simple one that has been used, at least in my family, is gelsemium, where you feel dull, droopy, and drowsy, and you're thirstless. It's also a remedy with a lot of anticipation and a lot of fear. It's when fear hits you to the point where it almost knocks you out, where you're exhausted from it. You're so fearful that your vitality gets knocked out and you become this droopy spaghetti with body pains and thirstlessness and a feeling of apprehension. And so it really, really acted and it helped manifest. In fact, A lot of people are using or finding that gelsemium has been helpful. Another remedy that has been helpful at this time for many people for different reasons has been bryonia. Bryonia is used for a dry cough and they're very, it's a very thirsty remedy. They usually have a thirst for cold water. They tend to not want to be touched. Even breathing could be painful. So any movement is painful. And so those are some very beautiful, beautiful remedies that have been acting. You know, each area, depending where you are, seems to have a different homeopathic remedy that has been hitting different populations. So it really depends the area. But of course, just with a few questions and understanding what's going on with the person, it's been very, very helpful. And so I've seen my family has been really doing beautifully with herbs, with homeopathics, with good liposomal vitamin C. Vitamin C has been really shown just in so many different journals and articles and research to have been very helpful with viruses in general. And so we've been using liposomal since it is much better absorbed. And so there's some great research in regards to that. Just different herbs. One of my favorites would be the more demulcent herbs. Um, COVID has shown to be more drying. And so for myself, things like marshmallow tea, things like mullen. Mullen is a wonderful herb, especially when there's a hacking cough. And it also has that demulcent soothing quality, which is very beautiful. So that has been something that has really been phenomenal. And of course, some tonics like elecampane is a lung tonic that has been very special. I've also seen pleurisy root as very effective, especially when there's any pain with breathing, which could be indicative that the pleura, which is the envelope surrounding the lung, is irritated, and that might cause some pain. There's been a lot of pain with breathing where the person feels it in their lungs. There's a lot of beauty that could be done. And with acupuncture, the biggest part with acupuncture I have found is with prevention. Right now, with COVID-19, a lot of theorists in Chinese medicine have stated that it's an issue with kidney jing, which is your fundamental energy, as well as a fluid loss in the stomach. We call it um, stomach yin deficiency. And so we're finding that just by bringing someone's immunity up and their, their very basic, basic foundation, which is in their kidneys and tonifying that kidney jing, if you can, if you will, is very, very important. 
as well as implementing more stomach fluids. And what that means is, again, a lot of things that are demulsants, a lot of things that would help as a tonic for your digestion. You know, ginger is a beautiful tonic, just very simple ginger, just help warm and, and help with digestion. And what's so beautiful about all this medicine is it's so individualized to the person and the symptoms that they're currently having, which we don't see in conventional medicine. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we've got some healing friends. I mean, I was talking with my friend Alicia Cook about chaga. And, you know, chaga is a famous mushroom. It's on your birch trees. It's used for its immunity because it's got those wonderful beta-glucans and it has all those wonderful immunomodulating properties. It's used for cancer. It's an antioxidant. It's antibacterial, antiviral, especially antiviral because of its betalinic acid, which has proved to have very strong antiviral action. But then it has a magical property too. I was speaking with my friend Alicia Cook and back to that, she was speaking to me about people in Siberia and how when you go to the Aurora Borealis, the chaga that grows there is said to hold some of that beautiful energy from the Aurora Borealis. And that's the chaga that the Siberians would, or at least the Inuit people, would use and, and drink. And they were said to live to the ages of 85 to 100. And they would consider that beautiful mushroom as the, what would they say, the gift from the gods. They would call chaga tea the gift from the gods. And so just an infusion of that. And so there's something with not only thinking about our medicine in the pharma, like we would think about, you know, phytopharmacognosy and, and all of the properties that we have studied and that we have found, but also from a spiritual level where you're obtaining the energy from the overall borealis. I mean, there's a beauty to thinking about our plants, many our plants and nature in many beautiful ways that symbolize the energy, the rainbow healing, the beauty that they possess that, that goes inside of us and strengthens us. Definitely. And we're huge fans of herbs. We're huge fans of chaga. Chaga is incredible. And we've been consuming it since we're children because our family, our grandparents and great-grandparents are from Eastern Europe. And so it was a remedy that they were raised on and that got passed down to us. And it always amazed me that something that you know is all natural, comes straight from the earth, fairly accessible, is so healing. And so few people really know about how healing it is and the amazing benefits that it has. And it's just incredible to see, of course, with chaga, but with so many herbs is it seems so simple. But then when you read about the benefits, it really is mind-blowing how incredibly powerful they could be. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are some of your other favorite herbs to, that you personally consume or that you recommend to clients of oh, yours? Well, right now as a breastfeeding mommy, you know, I'm all about ashwagandha. Ashwagandha, I mean, it increases strength. It's a nourishing tonic. It relieves cough and breathing problems, which we know is an issue at this time. It helps rejuvenate nervous tissue. It's a brain tonic. It helps you sleep. It's rejuvenative, reju rejuvenative and restorative <laughs> to the body. It helps to restore fertility and the reproductive system. And it's warming. And it's just one of my favorite, favorite herbs for chronic illness, for stress, for overwork, for panic attacks, for insomnia, which is kind of what people are going through right now. And so, you know, we just really, really need something to act to help us not only in a medicinal way, but in a nutritive, restorative way. And I think that's something that ashwagandha is able to do. Absolutely. And it's so interesting to me that people will go to the doctor once they're already sick and just need medicine, but what they don't realize is preventative health and your lifestyle is really what's going to help you build your immune system and prevent illness in the future. That is a very, very good point. And it's all about prevention. And it's all about getting your kidney chi, your, you know, your stomach, your digestion in order. I mean, the eclectic physicians at the turn of the century had said that any disease always arises from digestion. And when you think of digestion, it's also how we digest life, how we digest what's happening. You know, I just got a call from a friend who wanted help as she was 
potentially going to have a miscarriage, we're able to kind of go to the root, you know, where she said, well, you know, the truth is I'm, I'm really scared about having this baby. She had went through trauma. She went through poverty, failed relationships. And she was scared that perhaps, you know, this would happen again. And it was all about kind of meeting her with her fears. And meeting her her fears, allowing her to relax and accept her baby and thinking about what was going on. And so I had her see my doula who um, works with Haveny and she worked with her. And then I worked with her with homeopathy and thinking of the homeopathic remedy, Ignatia, and thinking about grief. And so on some level, we have to be in line with the emotions that we're feeling so that we can understand what's happening in our bodies. Absolutely. And I think it's so fascinating, which I think people are coming to understand more so now, that there's such a huge connection between your mind and your body. And sometimes our society has us values the suppression of feelings. We don't really allow for vulnerability or being in touch with our feelings, which you keep suppressing it for so long that it manifests on a physical level. Right. And that's the issue. And and it's interesting how the who actually said that um, for at least until they rescinded it three days later, they spoke about ibuprofen Mm -hmm. and how it wasn't okay to suppress a fever at this time. And the truth is, I believe, as many homeopaths believe, that suppressing a fever is quite dangerous because it's your body's natural response to healing yourself. And so that suppression can be quite deadly. And they were finding that people who took the ibuprofen were getting quite sick with COVID. And then it was rescinded three days later. And, you know, we can only but imagine why. But I do feel that, you know, that's very strong and that you want your body symptoms, you know, as long as you're able to handle them. Of course, you know, people who have very complicated illnesses may have to be careful with the amount that their body could use in its effort to overhaul and bring itself back. But for the person who has a certain amount of vitality, their body will allow them to heal. Absolutely. And naturopathic medicine also has so many other great modalities. So like warming socks in hydrotherapy can be really amazing. And, you know, just talking about warming socks, I'll give you two beautiful stories. And this was early in my career. I had two people. One was this very, you know, elderly person, and one was this young baby. And they both had a fever. And I said, okay, let's just do, you know, wet socks for both of them. The elderly person fainted with the um, wet socks, and the baby was completely cured of their fever and, and did great, and, and everything went away. I went to my mentor and I said, oh my God, how did this elderly person faint with wet socks? And the truth is, it was all about vitality. The elderly person just didn't have enough vitality to allow a fever to come in and couldn't handle it. And so the beauty of being a naturopath, of being a homeopath, is understanding and being in touch with that person's vitality and what they can handle so that you could really bring forth the most beautiful of healings. Absolutely. And that just goes back to treating the person as a whole and not just based on symptoms, right? Absolutely. 100%. So going back to herbs, I'm just curious, just because I'm also in medical school. So when you're formulating herbs for your patients, what are some things that you look at? Oh, that's a loaded one. So first, you know, we look at astrology. So my husband is a medical astrologer. And so we look at their date and we look at what's going on in their houses and how we can help them through essentially tonifying whatever issues are happening planetarily. Then we think of a driver. So there's herbs that are specific drivers you know, that will help push a formula, right? So lobelia is a driver. Licorice is a driver. Prickly ash is a driver. So you want to drive the formula and you want to think about how to do that. So now licorice, if you're not thinking of someone with hypertension as it can impact someone in a negative way with hypertension, is used in many societies as a driver, predominantly in India, in China, and in the West. And so what licorice does is very antiviral. 
it's also very soothing for the lung system. So when I think about people who have lung issues at this time, I may think of licorice in a non-hypertensive person to help drive the formula as it's antiviral and it's soothing to the lung system. Now, if there's spasms in that person, I might think of lobelia, which is also a driver, right? But lobelia helps to aid with spasms. It's an antispasmodic, and it also has to be used with caution as it will actually cause a little bit of emesis or vomiting. So you have to think about how you can think of that in terms of the whole formula. So now you have a driver that's to push the formula. Then you have the king, which is your main component in your formula. And you sort of have the little helpers that might help as a warming agent or a cooling agent or a demulsifying agent or something that's very antibacterial. A lot of people are using Scutellaria bicolensis as an antiviral. You know, some people are using, as I've used many times, mullein or whorehound if you have a nice hacking cough. Or you might think of wild cherry to soothe and to help with the cough. You might think of elecampane as a restorative, as a rejuvenative. You might think of um, turmeric. You might think of cayenne pepper if the person is more moist, which is rare now. People tend to be a little bit more on the drier side. And so really moistening is what's important right now in this time. And so really you want to think of who you're speaking to. You know, Is the person with a dry cough, a moist cough, are they very, very weak? Do they need to you know, lift themselves? Are they having any spasms in their cough? Or is it sort of a weak thing? Do they need to be restored? And so when you think of a formula, you want to think about the person's vitality. You want to think about what's actually happening. You want to see if they're cold. Are they dry? Are they hot? Are they moist? And all those things would be indicative in your formula. You want to think about their circulation. You want to think about their level of pain. You want to think about oils. You want to think about a driver like ashwagandha. I've been giving a lot of people a lot of Tulsi oil to massage on their body as Tulsi has been used historically for influenza, that being holy basil. And so I would give oil, you know, a Tulsi oil and have them drink the Tulsi tea to help restore them and to help combat the influenza itself. Tulsi is also something that helps calm the person down. So you can use it and you could make a Tulsi oil and have the person inhale it through their, their nose and do a meditative ritual, a type of a pranayama where they do alternate nostril breathing. So really it's thinking about the driver, the king, the helpers, what's going on, the temperature of the person, what you're trying to do, exactly what organs you're trying to tonify as well as any astrological implications. Definitely. And I've never heard using astrology, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Medical astrology is a very old system. It was used by Hippocrates. And so, you know, my husband, who is an astrologer and he uses ancient Greek astrology. And so it's really interesting working with him and trying to create formulas that implement all of those things. That's amazing. And I think that a lot of great natural remedies do come from Greece. And I know you spend some time in Greece and working there and learning there. Did you have any sort of notable takeaways from your time that you spent there? I did. Oh my gosh. I mean, it, it, because if you want to talk about homeopathy or herbalism, <laughs> so many different experiences in Greece. Um, I'll tell you a fun story. So I spent a month living in Ikaria. Ikaria is an island in Greece, and it is noted as being a blue zone. And there are a few places in the world that are considered blue zones which are places where people live way until their hundreds, and Ikaria is one place. So I spent time with this one elderly man with Sakis, and we went all the way up into the hills in, in Ikaria, and he was showing us the different herbs, and he was spending time with us. And I asked him, I said, hey, you know, this is St. John's Wort, which is a very famous herb that's used in Greece. You know, they prized the St. John's wort. And I said, what do you use it for? And he starts to crack up as if I asked him the funniest question. 
here you have this old man who has all this vitality. I think he's in his 90s and he's racing up the hills. Wow. He says, St. John's Ward. There's at least 150 reasons I would use St. John's Ward. <laughs> and he starts spilling out all these reasons, these, you know, acid reflux, nerve damage, you know, fevers, headaches, depression, you know, a thousand, you know, he just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. And I start giggling to myself because I start to realize that every herb is just a little creature that helps in a thousand ways. And our silly minds use one or two things, but traditions have many, many ways. And for me, in my clinic, in my practice, I love St. John's wort when it comes to restoring nerves. I use it for, you know, the oil we have people use with great success with any digestive complaints, you know, one being acid reflux. We have people massage the oil over their bodies, um, but they can, of course, go into the sun because, you know, it can affect people going into the sun. So they're using it at night and wash it off in the morning. Different, you know, I have people do tummy rubs with the uh, St. John's Wort oil or drink the oil. It all depends. But yeah, that's one of the take-homes from the island of Icaria, where there's bountiful springs that you jump into and you can collect the salt and you can eat their delicious food and their wild greens and climb their mountains. It's how much you can use just one simple thing. Absolutely. And it's so beautiful to see how connected people feel to the herbs. And I love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. So you're also a licensed acupuncturist and acupuncture has become a lot more mainstream throughout the years. So can you tell our viewers a little bit about how you decide on your acupuncture treatments, what points you're going to use and the diagnoses that you make? Oh my goodness. (laughs) I'm taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) It really depends on your teacher and what style of acupuncture you do, you know, you can go to one of the mill acupuncturists and he can take a look at your tongue for one second and say, okay, you've got some sciatica. Let's knock that out with a thousand needles. And that may do tremendous work for you and, and help you. Or you may be someone who's more interested in the spiritual and physical realm of acupuncture and really take time to understand the person, what's happening spiritually and physically with Chinese medicine, it encompasses many things, and you have to look at the roots of acupuncture. At the beginning, people were using acupuncture to help ward off demons. And so you would see parades of people, the monks, as is what I heard, would take knives and start, you know, beating it at the air. And then that translated to using needles and acupuncture points. And so you'll find that there are treatments that are ancient where people talk about how to, you know, excise a demon, for example, how to really go in and treat these evil winds or things that happen in the blood. And so there is a very spiritual connection. And so when you think of acupuncture, they also have astrological basis in Chinese medicine. So you have the food, you have Chinese astrology, you have acupuncture itself, you have feng shui. And so there are different realms. And of course, you have the herbal component. So there are different realms of thinking about Chinese medicine, right? I mean, you have a patient, they come to see you, and they're all tattered, their clothing is tattered. And if you go to their house, the feng shui is completely off. You know, you want to get that person to get their life back. And so you want to talk to them about where they sleep, how they sleep. You want to talk about what they eat. You want to talk about what the energetics of the food is. You know, are they have are they a very cold person and eating foods that are very cooling? You know, let's say someone is chilly and all they love is ice cream. That could be very dangerous for them. So you want to give them warming foods. So even before you touch someone with a needle, you want to think about their life. And then once you do, there are specific points. I'll give you an example of one of my favorite points. It's lung seven. Lung seven is used for fertility. 
Lung seven is a point of grief. Lung seven connects you with your mother and it helps you with that nourishment and that mother energy. So it's really special and really beautiful. It opens the Ren channel, which is the channel that's right at the center of your body that connects you with ancestral mother lineage. So if you talk to a woman with fertility issues, you probably want to understand her connection to her mother. You probably want to understand her connection to grief and love. And so that one point can take you there. And so there are many points and there's a system of doing it. You know, you open the lungs grief, you also want to strengthen the person's kidneys and their connection to their ancestors as the kidneys are symbolic to connecting to ancestry. You could also relieve someone's cough and cold using lung seven, as well as the kidney points to boost their jing and their immune system. So there's many realms in acupuncture. Also the weather and the temperature and the time of year, right? So we think of the winter and we think of the winter as kidney energy. That's when all the roots are important. That's when all the energy goes back down into the earth. So you want to see what that person's temperature is like. Where are they in the year? What month is it? What's happening to them spiritually and physically? What's happening in their house? What's happening in their job? What's happening with their diet? And that's Chinese medicine. I love that. Now, I know in China that when people do acupuncture, they generally go you know, and get it done two, three times a week. How often do you recommend patients get treatments to be most effective? It all depends what's going on, you know. They get hit by a car, then I want to see them every day, you know, twice a day. I even three times a day. Did they have a stroke? Then I absolutely want to see them every single day. Are they suffering from fibromyalgia? Are they very, very weak? Maybe we won't do acupuncture. Maybe we'll just do some oil massages and some moxibustion. And then maybe they can take the moxibustion home and they can do mox at home, you know, every day if they can on themselves. Maybe someone is coming in for anxiety and they just want it to be toned, you know, once or twice a week to help restore them and bring them back to their themselves. So it really depends on the etiology and the person's vitality. And that will tell me how often they should come. Wonderful. I think those are great tips to keep in mind. And I find Chinese medicine to be fascinating. Yes, I do have some ear seeds in right now, actually, as we're, as we're chatting. <laughs> That's um, and, great. <laughs> yeah, they feel, they feel great. I definitely feel nice and calm today. And you started to mention that there is a big focus in Chinese medicine on the seasons and on the environment and the impact that that might have on your health. Are there any tips that you have to allow our bodies to acclimate to the changes? Liver. So the liver is your beautiful organ for the spring. And that's where you see all the wonderful burdock and yellow dock and dandelions coming out. And so you really want to start your spring cleanse. And usually people will start with the liver at that time. You'll find that the liver is the seat of anger in Chinese medicine. So there'll be a lot of explosive emotions during this time, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration that needs to be quelled. This is when your castor oil pack is very important, considering that you don't have a, a horrible gallstone or something like that, because that could impede the duct. But, you know, with careful and, and with precision and with love, you can think about very simple ways. You know, a lot of people, they'll start to eat lots of apples to help cleanse them as that's something that's beautiful for the liver, not of sprouts. Sprouts are, you know, that sprout energy, that burst of energy that's coming from the ground. It takes a lot of will, which is why the liver is important. The, will, the liver helps direct you. It helps give you the will and the strength to do things. It's that energy of bursting, of coming out. So as the sprouts are bursting from the soil, you're also bursting to start your year and to bring forth that liver energy that's coming out of hibernation from the winter. And that could be an energy like anger, but it also can be that will, that drive to do things. So you can harness that energy and you can also use it by eating your beautiful sprouted foods, enjoying your greens, doing a nice liver detox, and thinking about also the sounds. You know, the Tibetan physicians would use specific meditative sounds. The sound for the liver is shh. So you would definitely do that. 
Absolutely. And I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the liver is where all our, a lot of our hormones are metabolized. And I think taking care of your liver is really important. And I've got my whole family on castor oil packs. So she has. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Yes. Castor oil packs are fantastic. Definitely. So we're also really curious to hear your opinion on all the different diets out there. It just seems that everyone and their mother has a different opinion on how you should eat. So I know that it's all very individualized to the patient. So I'm curious how you assess the best diet for your patients. So again, you know, thinking about the person's constitution, thinking about what's happening, thinking about any types of foods that could be activating them in a negative way. Um, You also want to think about things energetically. I look at the work of Rudolf Steiner, for example, and a very beautiful way to think about this is through the anthroposophy lens. And so when you have a baby and you want to start giving your baby food, right? You want to think about what foods you're going to give your child from a very spiritual and physical way. So Rudolf Steiner spoke about fruits as a starting food for children. And he said that fruits, as we know, are very tonifying for the spleen, which is earth energy, right? And so the spleen harnesses that very basic earth energy. It's very warming. It helps with digestion. It's a beautiful food to start with children at the beginning. And then he speaks against potatoes, believe it or not. He speaks uh, against potatoes because he says that potatoes are more superficial. They bring forth more superficial thoughts. And this is from a world, an anthroposophical perspective. And they speak about honey. And they say that the energy of honey, you know, you'll see bees, they're coming in, they're going, they're leaving, they're very busy. They're not kind of sitting there and pensive. And so he says that's why honey would make babies sick and to sort of stay away from honey for children, you know, for really tiny little babies at least until they get a little older. And so thinking about the energetics of food in a spiritual way, also thinking about it from a temperature way, thinking about the person's temperature themselves, thinking about astrology, thinking about foods are just very basic, basic ideals, but the simpler, the better and how you're thinking about it as someone's disease manifests. Awesome. I think that's really great to think about when you are making your dietary choices. I think very few people think about it in that way, but it's so important to think about the deeper meaning of the food we eat and the larger impact that it is having on how we feel. Right. Now, we're big believers in, you know, of course, trying to get as many nutrients as you can from your food and from herbs and just from making really great choices in that department. But of course, sometimes supplements aren't necessary. And especially like we spoke about vitamin C with you and the incredible impact that that could have on your health. Are there any other supplements that you're a big fan of and that you think everyone could really benefit from? Absolutely. I mean, selenium, zinc, vitamin C are all beautiful things. Right now, I would really try to engage with getting the simple foods in, right? You want to really make sure that you get your minerals from seaweeds. You want to make sure that you're getting your enzymes from different foods. So how do you do that? You know, you can ferment cabbage, for example. There's a recipe called Rejuvelac where you take cabbage, you blend it and water, and you just leave it like that for three days, and then you strain it and you drink so that you're getting your L-glutamine, which is great for your intestine, you're getting your enzymes, you're getting your probiotics. You want to make sure that you're getting chicory, which has your prebiotics. You want to make sure that you're getting foods with essential prebiotics, probiotics, enzymes, as well as nutrition. And so I would really try to look upon things like sprouts, things that are seaweeds and things that are fermented. So your fermented foods, your sprouted foods, and your sea vegetables. And I think we can all do that. They all seem pretty accessible. Absolutely. What are some other lifestyle changes that you like to recommend to patients or friends? So processed foods. People will say, you know, I go to Trader Joe's and I eat food at Trader Joe's and that seems to be fine. 
No, you want to make everything by scratch. Think about your great grandmother and her recipes and try to mimic that. That's the most important things. Go back to your bone broths. Go back to cooking rice and, and your beans from scratch, not from a can. Think about how you make your spices and how you combine them. Think about those beautiful recipes with turmeric. And I see so many people tell me, oh, I'm taking turmeric. And they'll show me a bottle and with capsules. And I say, no, no, no. You eat your turmeric. You drink your turmeric. You enjoy these foods. You lavish in these foods and you do them traditionally. With my own having been sick, the amount of beautiful miso soup I had made, that nourishing miso soup is so healing and so yummy and so traditional. That's what brings you health. It's not in a bottle. It's in beautiful teas and drinks and love that you have. I mean, you guys have some beautiful products out that you have created that makes it accessible for people in a rush where they can have these teas and they can enjoy that, that luxury. Definitely. And that was our goal. You know, our goal is to provide consumers with, you know, the cleanest and most transparent and functional beverages that are easily accessible on the go and still really trustworthy. And I think it's amazing how you describe food and your perspective on food one, it sounds incredibly appetizing, so you're making me hungry, but it also shows the incredible connection that we should be having with what we eat. I think that because society is so fast-paced, we're typically running and eating or standing and eating and not taking time to really appreciate what we're consuming. But I think that when you do sort of shift your perspective on consumption and food and what you hydrate yourself with, it really changes your whole viewpoint on life. Absolutely. It changes your viewpoint. It helps relax you. I mean, the Chinese physician would always correlate spirit with food and what the spirits engendered. I remember something funny. <laughs> I worked with Dr. Dawa. He's a Tibetan physician. His uncle is the physician to the Dalai Lama and wow. his uncle raised him. And, and Dr. Dawa was my mentor. And so he spoke to me about food and he spoke to me about connection and also worked with acupuncture with him and his ideas about what really connecting to someone to spirit and to their self and their essence is all about. That's amazing. And I think it's so interesting how nature really tries to give us as much information as nature can. And even something like a walnut, it's shaped like our brain mm -hmm. and it's so positive for brain health. And so I think it is really important to be observant and to also, you know, really observe the exterior of the object that you're going to eat and really try to learn from that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we also wanted to get some of your tips uh, for sleep hygiene. Oh my goodness. Right. You have to just turn off the Wi-Fi completely. Turn off your phones at least an hour or two before you even get ready for bed. That way you're just not stimulated. You're not thinking about the last thing that you read on the internet. Practice a meditation before you sleep. Make sure that your closet doors are not open because then that shows all that, that energy from what's in your closet. Keep your closets closed. Keep your drawers closed. Have a beautiful incense on or essential oil on before you go to bed. Do some meditations that bring you back peace. Um, talk to whoever, you know, whatever you believe in to give you beautiful dreams and allow peace. And also pray for those people that are suffering. You know, there's people that need peace of mind and, and they need your good wishes. So perhaps creating some type of a ritual to bring forth that at night, you know, with your teas, you know, it's more than taking, let's say, valerian or passion flower to go to bed, which is very useful. And I've, and I've helped people with those very simple herbal suggestions, but creating almost like a, a communion with what you do every night is so important. I think that's so true and having a really great bedtime ritual and just way of sort of setting yourself up to start relaxing and gearing into that part of the day is so important. And I think it's going to become even more important with the way that our society is evolving and, you know, technology is only growing and the introduction of 5G and all these influences around us are only making it harder and harder for us to connect with ourselves and to relax. So I think all of the tips that you just told us about are great things to incorporate into our daily routines. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, I was just curious if there are any quotes or mottos that you like to live your life by. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I can give you my a small little, I guess it's a little prayer that I say every I love morning. that because you have such a good mindset and perspective and such great energy. So we'd love to know sort of some of the things that guide you, some quotes or mottos or prayers or anything that really allows you to stay centered. Oh my goodness. So um, it's just as a mommy, you know, this is what I read to myself and, and, and kind of try to sit with. And it's for just as a mommy to help my baby and to help the, the people that I see every day. So this verse, I say, it's into my will, let their pour strength. Into my feeling, let their flow warm. Into my thinking, let their shine light, that I may nurture my child as well as any person that I see with love and light and purpose, using heart's love and bringing wisdom into all things. That's amazing. So beautiful. Oh, thanks. I try to say that every day to remind myself to be present with love and wisdom. Of course. I think that's so important. And I think it's so important to lead with love and to lead with good intentions. Absolutely. (laughs) You you have so much amazing experience and you've done a lot of research and I'm sure that you have read many great books and watched many great documentaries. Are there any health-focused books, documentaries, or TV series that you really enjoy and that you'd recommend? There are so many beautiful books. My goodness, you put me in a hole here. I'm (laughs) so sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean... Right now, with my little baby, one of my favorite books is The Incarnating Child. And another book is Unbornness. The Incarnating Child is by Joan Salter, S-A-L-T-E-R. And Unbornness is all about the baby choosing you in terms of looking at all of your generations and choosing you as the mother, choosing the mother as the person that he or she wants to begin his uh, earthly experience in again. And that's by Peter Selg. I think that's important to know that, you know, we chose our life, we chose our karmic destiny, and all that we need is the openness to do it. And now I remember my absolute favorite book, and it is by Edward. It is a book uh, it's the writings of Edward Bach. And let me just get the actual name of the book for you, because that, I think, is just one of my favorite, favorite, favorite books, because it speaks about our karmic destiny, as well as Dr. Bach's story with his flowers and and all that he had done. And Sounds amazing. I think it's just the writings of Edward Bach. It's the original writings of Edward Bach by Judy Howard. Amazing. We're definitely going to order it. Mm-hmm. Now's yeah. a great time to do some extra reading. Oh, yeah. And it, it's just one of the most fantastic books. It, it just goes into your personal. I mean, he gives, he recants the story of a child who, you know, drew this beautiful picture of, a, of his house and he shows it to his mother. And his mother says, Well, where's the windows? Where's the door? Well, there should be a roof there. And it just disintegrated the child's vision of what he determined was his very most beautiful vision of how the house looked like. And it's all about how we should maintain our vision of what life looks like for us and not allow it to impede in anyone else's vision for us and how our soul's manifestation of what we want to do is the most important. And that's what heals us. It's in fact, it's the most difficult thing in the world for me to help someone who is not in love with what they do every day and is not willing to change that. Absolutely. And you know, Johnny and I were, I think it was just yesterday that we were talking about this as we grow up and we're young and everyone's like, oh, what do you want to do? And we have such big dreams for ourselves. And as we grow older and we get jaded by other people's opinions, that that really sets some limiting beliefs that we have on ourselves. And I think that that's something that patients and we all really need help assessing and going back to our roots and our beliefs about ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So since this is the Down to Earth podcast, we want to know what being down to earth means to you. Oof, it means being down to earth. It means taking the time to take off your shoes and holding a tree and having your feet on the ground and asking wisdom from everything and everyone around you and being open to hearing and listening to ideas from people, places, things, experiences around you in a non-judgmental and open manner. Amazing. I love that response. And I think that it's so important to really start connecting with nature more and hugging a tree and taking off your shoes and grounding and really just surrounding yourself in a natural environment is so important. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lopez, for being here with us today. I learned so much. I was actually taking notes of things that you inspired me to start incorporating into my routine. So I'm sure that everyone who hears this is going to take away a lot of wonderful information from it. And so I just want to thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I know you're extremely busy. And for anyone out there who hears this and wants to get in touch with you, what are some easy ways that they can get in touch? Okay, so Saki Stamu and my um, website, Saki Stamu being my husband, our website is uh, vitalisthealingtraditions.com. That's V-I-T-A-L-I-S-T, healingtraditions.com. And my number is 917-701-8549. And people can text and call and make an appointment. And, awesome. Uh, We're doing great work and uh, trying to help as many people as possible. (laughs) You are, and we're definitely going to come see you. And, uh, you know, I know some people already that that do see you and they only say the highest and most amazing things about both you and your husband and all of your work. So keep up the amazing work, keep helping people, and we look forward to visiting your practice as well. Okay, well, thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in today. We hope that you learned as much as we did from that amazing conversation with Dr. Lopez. As always, if you have any questions for us, you could always email us at podcast at drinkdowntoearth.com or you can get in touch with us on our Instagram, which is at drinkdte. In the meantime, we hope that you guys have a great week. Make sure to take good care of your health and stay hydrated. Now it's time for you to go out there and do at least one small thing to better your health today. Always choose to make your life a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Until next time. Cheers to good health.